Uh, it was really good to actually have songs this morning that focused on Jesus, and we're going to look at what it means to be in Jesus. Hallelujah. But ladies, is your hair weighing you down? Is your hair... I never thought of that expression before, but I, I looked at a few kind of before and after adverts, and with this Boots product for only £12, ladies, uh, don't go, go back, please, go back, all right, you can actually have five times more shine in your hair. Now, husbands, this is the time when you turn to your wife and you say, you don't need it, darling. <laughs> if you don't do it now, you are in trouble, let me tell you. And then it has this phrase, no way down. Well, that surprised me. I know more hair might be more weight, but uh, anyway, that's what. And the next pro photograph, I want to thank Annie Chick for this photograph of Steve. Uh, there you are. This is Steve uh, before and after. Now he doesn't get any sand kicked in his face when he's on the beach because he's really ripped and solid of before and after. And he's really pleased with himself on that. And uh, the next one. Now, this is not Steve, right? Okay. Uh, it may look a bit like him, but it's not. Uh, this is a, a claim here. Sorry, Steve. Uh, we, we are good friends, or we were good friends anyway. Before and after. What they've done with Gollum's teeth is just miraculous. And these before and after adverts, we are bombarded with them. Your condition before and what happens after you use the product or take advice, your life is transformed and changed. It's an amazing miracle that happens. And uh, even now, product people, advertisers are taking the mickey out of themselves. The next slide shows you this, before you've used Gillette razor and after you have used a Gillette razor. So they even mock themselves in what the, their claims are for before and after. It's a reasonably good sales strategy. And before I look at chapter 2 verse 13, I just want to give some introduction to Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Because we can see in chapter 1 and 2 that Paul reverses the before and after to the after and before. If you read in Ephesians, and do read the Bible, it's good for you. It's brilliant to read. It's good. It's food for you. It will nourish you and encourage you and build you up. And if you read Ephesians 1, he starts with the magnificent heights of God's blessings towards us in Christ and because of Christ's work. We were chosen before creation. We've been adopted as children of God. We've been redeemed. A price has been paid for our rescue out of slavery, for our restoration. We have been forgiven. Hallelujah. We've been had grace lavished upon us just generous lavishings of grace upon us and our life. And all of this has been done in God's sovereign power and purpose. It says, we heard the gospel and so we believed. And so we have been included. These are wonderful truths 
that we need to get into and enjoy and rehearse in our own mind and have our minds renewed in these trusts. We are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Our inheritance is guaranteed. Hallelujah. Aren't these amazing words for us? So Paul is starting with the after. He's saying, this is what after you believe. This is all that you are enjoying now. And Christ is placed over all things, and he's head over everything for the sake of the church, his body. Isn't that an amazing? I encourage you to read Ephesians 1. Read other parts of the Bible. But read it. Enjoy it. Take it for yourself. Adopt it into your mind and your lifestyle as well. But then in chapter 2, wow, he mentions the before. And there's an amazing contrast. He talks before we were hopeless. We were helpless in our sinful condition. He says we were dead in our sins. I mean, we're living and breathing, but our spirits were dead towards God. We were separated from God in our sins and in our disobedience. He says we were enslaved to the world. He really steps on our toes here because we would like to think we weren't that bad beforehand. But he's saying, no, you were enslaved to the world. The world is not favorable towards God. The world is not neutral. The standards of the world are against God. And he says this, you're also attacked by Satan. You are vulnerable to Satan, the prince of the air. And he's just putting this picture massively in contrast. There's a real devil. He seeks to devour you. He seeks to enslave you. He seeks to rob you. And he also talks about our flesh. These three kind of classic opponents of the work of God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh is there because actually we are we give in to lusts. We have all sorts of things that try and break into our mind that spoil it in our thoughts and attitudes. Our cravings, he mentions. That's not a craving for chocolate, but that's something driven by our lust, by our ego, by our selfishness, by our sinfulness. And he says we are objects of God's wrath. God's wrath is personal. It's predictable. It's consistent. And it is his righteous antipathy to sin. It is perfect. God refuses to compromise with or condone evil. But then he goes on in Ephesians 2. It says, His love, His mercy, His grace shown through Christ makes us alive. Hallelujah. Raises us up and seats us in heavenly places. You can see that Paul is going through ups and downs. He's building a contrast. I want to read now from Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 18. I'll read it to you, or you can follow it in your own Bible. I'm reading from the NIV. So I'm going to read. In fact, I'll start from verse 8. Okay, let's start from verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I'm tempted to read on because it's so glorious. It's good news for us. And as we read that, we find out that Paul is addressing the Gentile believers. And again, he's moving from positive to negative, negative to positive. He says, remember once you were what you were formerly. Remember that you were separate from Christ. You were once excluded, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our testimony is we were once excluded, but now we are included. And that's a wonderful story for us to experience. Later on, we're going to be breaking bread together. You can see the dividing walls of hostility are already there in front of things. So they won't be spoiled. Hopefully, they might be removed and we can enjoy breaking bread. And when we break bread later on, please don't let it be a religious thing. Don't let it be familiar. I want us, as we look at this verse, to, to, for it to lead us towards celebrating our testimony of God's grace in our lives. That once we were excluded, but now we're included because of the work of Jesus Christ. Well, why does Paul take us through this roller coaster ride? Up and down and up and down again. Well, he's not a miserable beggar who wants us to feel bad. That's not his nature. That's not his, his intention. He wants, and he's, he's mentioned his prayers for the Ephesians believers. He says this, he wants us to know God better. He wants them to know God better. He wants their minds to be enlightened, hallelujah, to have a deeper understanding of the greatness of their salvation, the hope to which they have been called. They've been moved from hopelessness to hope, from poverty as orphans, to a rich inheritance as children of God. And that's our testimony too. From impotent living to knowing God's power at work in us and through us. What a testimony we have because of the work of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying this, please don't lose perspective. 
Keep the contrast in mind. Why? Because it glorifies God. It's not as if you're living in the past. It's not as if you're dwelling in the past and how bad you were. But actually, it's good to remember what you have been saved from and saved to. And if you've been Christian a long time, it can be difficult to do this. Sometimes you lose perspective. I want to show the next slide to you here. This is a a kind of familiar slide. This was actually created in Germany in about the 19th century and adopted by someone in England in the 20th century who called it my wife and my (laughs) mother-in-law. Not very nice. Some of you are saying pardon because there you can see two people. You can see two people. Psychiatrists say if you can see the young lady who's looking away, then you're youthful in your disposition. If you can only see the old person who's looking slightly towards you, then actually you're maybe more old, elderly in your disposition. So I'm not going to make that judgment against you. But I wonder if you can see. Sometimes we lose contrast, but there's a contrast there. There's a lady who's... At, go back to the slide, please. Thank you. There's a lady who's actually looking away. She's wearing a big hat, and she's got a necklace around her neck. Well, actually, that necklace can be turned to the mouth of an old lady, and the young lady's chin can actually become the nose of the old lady. Are you getting it now? If you haven't got it, I'm going to move on, otherwise you'll be distracted completely. But actually, sometimes we just become kind of lacking in the contrast. We need to see both. We need to understand, not to be ambiguous in what God has done in our lives, but to see the contrast. It's okay to, positive, to focus on the positive, but please don't forget what you are like. What happened to you? We need to see both. There's been an amazing transformation in your life. And do you know, seeing this transformation, transformation makes the gospel good news. Otherwise, we just become casual about it. It's as if, you know, there was an entitlement that we had to be saved. It's as if we were very, very close to God. So he just kind of nudged us in a little bit. It's really important that we make the gospel good news in our own mind and our heart. And seeing the transformation and the change, looking at sometimes what we were like and now what we are in Christ helps us. It values the work of Jesus Christ. It benefits us in our discipleship. Uh, There's a a story of a, a guy who was reporting the Daily Mirror Uh, about eight years ago, a son's letter to his dad. A dad returned home to find his 15-year-old son was out and his bedroom looked suspiciously tidy. On the bed, which was neatly made up, was a folded piece of paper with dad scrawled across it. Alarms already ringing, his paranoia went into overdrive at seeing the note and he opened it with some trepidation. The letter read, It's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mum and you. I've been finding real passion with Stacy and she is so nice. 
but I knew you would not approve because of her piercings, her tattoos, and her tight motorcycle clothes, and the fact that she's much older than I am. But it's not only the passion. Dad, Stacy is pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a caravan in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We shared a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with the other people in the neighborhood in exchange for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we pray that science will find a cure for Stacy's many diseases so that Stacy can get better. She sure deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your many grandchildren. Love, Joshua. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm at Jason's house. I just want you to know <laughs> that there are worse things in life than the school report that's on the <laughs> kitchen table. Well, that's a clever tactic, isn't it? <laughs> to play down how bad things are, right? Let's be honest. We've all got a bad school report, as far as God's concerned. We're all out of his, kind of his, his covenant and his promises. We were his enemies. Paul is not being hypothetical like Joshua was. He's not being false He's not trying to make tough things easier to swallow. And when Paul teaches like this, it can offend our pride. It can offend our reputation to be told how far away we were from God, how lost we were. It steps on our toes, our arrogance, our independence, our self-sufficiency. I have a testimony. I was born to Christian parents. My grandparents were Christian. Uh, so I kind of think in some ways, when I was growing up, I didn't have the testimonies of other people. Uh, other people had testimonies of being away from the Lord and not knowing the Lord. And I wished I'd had a testimony about drugs. Right? But I didn't. Right? I went to church three times on a Sunday. I don't know when I became a Christian. I want to assure you I am a Christian. I don't know when because I put my hand up to every appeal that I ever heard. When I was a little boy, I was aware of my sinfulness, right? and I was aware of Jesus dying on the cross. I stuck my hands up at so many evangelistic rallies, I am more saved than any of you. <laughs> I don't know exactly when I became a Christian, but I know I did. I know I did. And then, of course, not just being born into a kind of a Christian family. My dad was a Baptist minister. Oh, wow. My sister had a testimony. She, said, she got it wrong once. She said, we knew what sin was because our dad was a Baptist minister. <laughs> my dad had to kind of just rephrase that for her in her testimony. But my dad was a Baptist minister. I went to church. I knew the songs. I knew my reading was good in school because I read the Bible. 
Right, I went to Sunday school. I knew Bible stories and all sorts of things. And then on top of that, being kind of born in a Christian family, then kind of having my dad as a Baptist, I was born in Liverpool. Wow, wow. This is like heaven sent blessing upon my life. I have friends now who say, I visited Liverpool, it's brilliant. I said, it's always been brilliant. It's the salt of the earth. You know, you can go there and they will smile, they will joke, and then you walk away and you find out your watch is missing. (laughs) But they are the salt of the earth. I want to ask you, see, as growing up, I wasn't a bad boy. I knew I was very competitive in sport and get a bit nasty in a game or whatever. But I wasn't a bad boy. But what was my test me? Was I far off or was I near? Well, I'd like to think I was near because of all these. And I'm really grateful for being born into a Christian family. So grateful. But the truth is, categorically, the truth is this. I was far off. I was far off. And I'm not allowed to kind of water down the difference. That I was, even though I was born into a Christian, I thank so much God for Christian grandparents and parents for an environment of church life that was generally positive and good and friendly and lively as well. The issue is not really whether you were born into a Christian family or not. The issue is not really how wicked or good you were. But the question is this, are you in Christ or are you without Christ? That is the question. I don't have a black and white conversion, test me. You may have. And I'm not really jealous of you because I know my test me is also black and white. In that sense that I was lost and I've been found. I dare not rub out the distinctions that Paul makes. That I was okay, and God just nudged me in because of all these advantages. No, I thank God that he blessed me and he changed me. I don't know when it happened, but I knew it happened. So your background, whether you feel you had a sinful background or rebellious, or you felt actually you were a church boy, a church girl from a Christian family, you were kind, polite, it doesn't matter there was still a chasm between you and God. And that has been bridged through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. My testimony is not about my Christian family. It's about Christ and what he has done. Before I trusted in Jesus, I was outside of God's promises. I thank God for all the blessings that I enjoyed, but it's only through Christ that we are born again. Christianity is very binary. It's one or the other. And it really struggles in these days where those distinctions are taken away in our community and in our social media and with the morality that is going on around us. From beginning to the end, the Bible story is mostly binary and categorical. You have Satan and God, demons and angels, sin and holiness, lies and truth, wolves and sheep, non-Christians and Christians, damnation and salvation, hell and heaven. 
It makes clear distinctions and judgments between these opposed categories. But our mainstream culture these days, and I don't want to sound like an old person complaining, but it's true. Our mainstream culture these days refuses to allow any categories because that would mean that you and I make distinctions and we make value judgments. Instead of Satan and God, we have a higher power. Instead of sin and holiness, we have a lifestyle choice. Instead of lies and absolute truth, we have your truth and my truth. Instead of non-Christians and Christians, we're all defined as God's children. Instead of damnation and salvation, we have whatever works for you. And instead of hell and heaven, everyone goes to a better place when they die. But Jesus said this, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You cannot be neutral with regard to me, says Jesus. You cannot be saved without me. You cannot be right with God without me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's two positions of status and standing with God. We're outside Christ or we're in Christ. There is no entitlement. There is no alternative. And Paul clarifies and contrasts for the sake of the gospel message. We need to repent and we need to believe. And when we believe, we need to get baptized and we part of the Christian family. He also puts this contrast out to value the work of Christ. If it's easy for you and me to be nudged into salvation because we were that close, it devalues the work of Christ. The blood of Christ that was shed for you and me, his life poured out as a perfect sacrifice. Let's just say it doesn't really have the value because we were there anyway. No, we were far away. Totally dependent on the work of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful testimony I'm building up myself right now as I preach to you and hopefully as you remind yourself of God's goodness to you as well. And this was good news for the Gentile believers. They'd been excluded for the covenants of God. Now they could be included. And in this verse, once far away but now brought near in Christ through his blood, Paul is summarizing the gospel for the Gentiles. Through faith in Christ, God graciously includes Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. Includes those once separated from Christ. Excluded from Jewish citizenship. Foreigners to God's covenant promises. Without hope and without God. And the imagery here is like in the temple where you had the Holy of Holies and then you had the court of priests and then you had the court of the Jews and then far away, well away, was the court of the Gentiles. They could just not get in. They were not included. They were excluded if any of them ever visited the temple. The dividing wall has been destroyed. Hallelujah. The Jews can no longer disdain the uncircumcised. 
And for the Gentiles, it's a double whammy. Because even Jews are sinful. We all need saving. But actually, the double whammy for the Gentiles, they were both sinful and dead in their sins and outside of God's covenant. The promises to Abraham. Jesus had said to a woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. There's no salvation outside being part of the true Israel, the people of faith, where we enjoy the promises that were given to Abraham. But we don't have to live within the Mosaic law. Hallelujah. We are free and set free. Jesus has fulfilled that law. And Paul is writing at a time when Judeas, Judaizers were kind of trying to put more law and put the Gentile Christians back into physical things. You need to get circumcised. You need to do this. Don't eat this food. And Paul is wanting to be clear. No, the blood of Jesus has done it all. All. Nothing to be added to it. Hallelujah. And that is what he's getting on. But now, the blood of Jesus has made it possible for us all in Christ. We are brought near. The blood of Jesus, blood is the essence of life. It has been poured out for you and me. A price has been paid through that blood that was shed. A price paid for your sins and my sin. I'm not saved because of my good deeds or religious acts, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord's Supper has bread and wine. The broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus. That's what we will be taking later on. These elements of wine and bread. It isn't a memorial to the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. Although they were great. It's a memorial to his atoning sacrifice. Where he paid the price for your sin and my sin. That's why we should never be casual about this. That's why we need to embrace it, not as a routine thing, but something we celebrate. I was brought up in a Baptist context, and uh, there was kind of sometimes formality about breaking a bread. And I understood some of that, but it was all very formal. The deacons were the ones who brought it down to you. And they were at the back, and they all had to line up, and they all had to nod at the same time, and they all had to walk down at the same time, and do all. And it, it was quite a pageant, really. And I'm not being critical of that. That's the light we had at that moment. But actually, this, as well as being a sober moment, is a time of celebration. Hallelujah. We're remembering the blood, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, that we might be saved. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood of the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. To be in Christ is to be in union with Jesus through faith in him as Savior and Lord. And after being included, we join together as one new man. Hallelujah. The church of Jesus Christ, reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. And as we become in the church a new context for God's presence, a holy temple, Christ believers in whom God lives by his spirit. I was encouraged in your worship this morning, not just with how many contributions or whatever there might be, just the spirit of praise 
I, I know, you know, we can go to, there's a danger now if we become charismatically weary. We become evangelically familiar. And we can just come into routines of church life. It's good that we break through, break out of the flesh, break out of the circumstances and look to Jesus and glorify him. I hope from what I've shared, you're getting some renewed perspective, hallelujah, that might encourage you, not just in the breaking of bread, but in your Christian walk and in your Christian worship. You were lost, but now you've been found, hallelujah. You were far away, but now you are near. Remember, you were outside of God's covenant, his promises. You were strangers. You were alien to God and his purposes. Remember these things. And Paul says in verse 11 and 12, remember, remember. He says it a couple of times. Why? Because our minds are daily being soaked. If it's not with familiarity, we're being soaked with the world's values. Many years ago, there's a, a leader of a, a good charismatic stream of churches called uh, Gerald Coates. He passed away just recently. and He led the pioneer movement. And he was really good on, on the radio media. Pam was listening to the radio and he was being interviewed and he was being put alongside an atheist and they were obviously talking about the faith. And the atheist said this to Gerald Coates. He said, the trouble with you Christians is you're all brainwashed. And what Gerald Coates said is this, I, he said, that might be true, but what we're washing our brains in is much better than what you wash yours in. We need to wash our brains, brothers and sisters, in the truth and the greatness of our salvation. Remember your former condition, apart from Christ. Contrast it with your position. Let it seize you. Let it move you. Don't become familiar with it. Appreciate, rejoice. You have a magnificent testimony. You don't have to have been in Right, in all sorts of desperate sins. that You were a sinner anyway. Maybe you were raised in a Christian context and so on. And you kind of think, well, the distinction wasn't that too great. I went to church before, go to... No, there's a great trans transaction has happened. A great transformation has taken place. Let's not become familiar, settled or passive. Let's avoid any sense of entitlement or how near... So I'm not saying to you this morning, you're not grateful enough, because that doesn't help you. What I'm trying to do is give you some fuel for your praise and your thanksgiving. God, I thank you so much for my salvation through and in Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice in our salvation. Let's be full of praise to God. Let's be overwhelmed by the work of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, the excluded are now included. The lost have been found, and we are blessed to be a blessing to others. And this remembrance we're going to do with life and with vigor. Uh, Steve's going to lead you later on, but I really want it to be a time where we just don't just eat the bread and drink the wine, but thank God, right? Just rehearse your testimony, whatever it is, right? And say, Lord, I was lost, but I've been found. And it's because of you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. It's because of all that you've done. The body that was broken, the bread, uh, that's the bread. The blood that's been shed, that's the wine. 
Thank you so much. This is a regular memorial. The early church did it through times of persecution and opposition. They were devoted to it. And in our times of maybe even spiritual familiarity, we are called and we are pushed again in a good godly way. Remember, remember what you were and what you are now. And this is a time when the Holy Spirit can be at work, pointing to Jesus, hallelujah, pouring God's love into our hearts. A time to arrest any drift into familiarity. Any kind of lack of appreciation or even celebration that we should be thankful and also amazed at the grace of God towards us. Once you and I were far away, but now we've been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's precious. Let it touch us. Let it bless us. I want the band to come up. I'm going to pray before we sing a song. Then Steve's going to lead us into breaking bread together. I just encourage you, you don't have to perform, but I just want you to, to come. It may be a renewed way as you break bread. Say, Lord, my testimony is brilliant. If you want to pray with someone else, thank God for things. If you want prayer for something, ask but in some way. Let this be a dynamic irreligious time, hallelujah, of thanksgiving to God and remembrance of who we once were, but now who we are in Jesus. Let me pray. Let's stand together. Thank you, mighty God, for giving us the opportunity to have our minds renewed by your truths that we were once far away but it's only through Jesus and in him we are brought near. Thank you for the opportunity that we can be reminded of your grace and patience and love. The work of Jesus Christ is fantastic and we enjoy the benefits of his obedience and sacrifice. We thank you that we have an inheritance that can never fade, hallelujah, but kept in heaven for us. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus. And in some way, we celebrate our testimony because once we were lost, but now we are found. And I pray your spirit will be upon us mightily as we take time to break bread and drink wine together. We might be refreshed and renewed. Keep us, Lord, from familiarity. Keep us, Lord, from religiosity. Help us by your spirit to be alive, lively new creations, celebrating that new creation that we are in you. Amen. Oh,